This week on Geek Explained, in the penultimate chapter of Bat March, we return to the world of animation as I count down the top 10 episodes of the Batman animated series. No, no, the, the other one. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and this is episode 199, part four of Bat March and friends, family, listeners. The March to 200 is almost over. Next week, we hit our 200th episode, but this week, this week, part four of Bat March takes us way back into the far-flung world of the mid-2000s as I count down the top ten episodes of The Batman, one of the hidden gems of DC animation that's been quietly getting a bit of a following. You know, we've had this steady onward and upward trend of people discovering and loving this show and I know for me I was a huge fan of it back when I was watching it as a young one and I cannot wait to talk about this show we also have this week's comics countdown where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No film news, no comics news this week. It is a much lighter news week than last time. So let's go ahead and dive into miscellaneous news. We have two pieces of video game news. First off, CD Projekt Red has announced basically what I think a lot of fans of them and of their flagship series were waiting for. A new Witcher game is in development. A new era has begun, according to their Twitter. No timetable. Um, I'm sure we're going to get something maybe at E3. Who knows? But CG Project Red has a lot of goodwill to gain back after uh, Cyberpunk. So fingers crossed that they can pull this off. The Witcher is a beloved franchise now with that fantastic adaptation on Netflix starring one Mr. Henry Cavill, and I think that this might be the recipe to get CD Projekt Red back in the good graces of video game fans. We also got some unfortunate uh, announcements in that Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has been delayed to 2023. It was slated to come out fall of this year. And the uh, the Twitter of, I believe, lead developer Sefton Hill basically said, look, we want this game to be as good as possible. We want it to be the best it can be, so we're delaying it to next year. Totally get it. I've said it before on this podcast. I will say it again. 
I would much rather have a delayed game than a rushed game. I, I don't remember who uh, who said it. There was a quote somewhere, and I, for the life of me, can't remember the name of whoever said this. But they were basically like, a delayed game can be a masterpiece, but a rushed game is ruined forever. So I am totally okay. Take as much time as you need. Uh, CD Projekt Red, who we just talked about, would love to give you that bit of advice so rocksteady stay the course do your thing we'll see in 2023 hopping over to tv news some big rumors in the world of the bbc doctor who is getting ready to drop whatever next chapter it's got going next year is i believe going to be 60 years the 60 year anniversary all kinds of plans, I'm sure, are be being put in place for that. But right now, the Jodie Whittaker era is winding down as we're getting ready for a set of specials. And all eyes have gone to not just the BBC, but also new showrunner uh, Russell T. Davies taking back the reins since, what was that, Series 4? When he handed the reins off to Moffat? Um... Lots of rumors going around on who is going to be the next Doctor, and apparently there's been substantial rumors this past week that Hugh Grant might be taking the role. This would be uh, crazy. This is not usually how these things go. Uh, we don't usually see someone in, who has the kind of like global star power as Hugh Grant does. I mean, say what you will about everything when it comes to Hugh Grant but he is a bona fide star people know who he is you recognize the name and I don't know Doctor Who has typically been a series and a platform for actors who are maybe not quite on the world stage yet to really get their big stardom moment uh was that way for David Tennant it was that way for Matt Smith to a lesser extent Peter Capaldi he'd had a pretty extensive career but you know Doctor Who made him a household name and then Jodie Whittaker made her way into the world stage thanks to Doctor Who so I'm very interested I feel like what was the last Doctor Who was like really popular and like became a doctor uh maybe maybe Peter Davidson, maybe, Fifth Doctor. Um, either way, I am very curious, because I don't know if Hugh Grant is the type of Doctor that they need. Um, I, I I guess, you know, feeling with all the backlash they've gotten, that they're like, oh, we got a course correct, we got to bring a, a white old British man again. But I don't know, I feel like there are a lot of different candidates that you could choose. So we'll see. Hugh Grant himself has denied the rumors, which of course he does. You know, if you are going to say no until they officially announce your name. But we'll see. I think a younger Hugh Grant might have been a better fit. An older Hugh Grant who, I mean, he's not Capaldi's age, but he is getting up there. Seems like an odd choice. But... Either way, we'll just have to see what happens. And then we got the wonderful news that some CW shows have been renewed for a new season. The Flash has been renewed for season 9, breaking Arrow's previous record of the most seasons for a DCW show. Getting season 9. We are getting season 9. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. Season 8, it's been alright so far. I've been enjoying it. Uh, the first big batch of episodes that were the Armageddon 
uh, five-parter I thought were actually very good. And the show seems to be trying to get back to its roots. Uh, the most recent episode with Nora and Bart very much feels like uh, they're trying to tell like season one, season two style stories. So we'll see if they keep on that trend. And if so... We might just see a season 9 and a season 10. I'm sure they are shooting for season 10 so that they can match Smallville. But, I, I, I mean, at this point, if any show is going to, it's going to be them. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But in much more exciting news, Superman and Lois has already been renewed for a season 3, baby! The best DCW show is killing it right now. Uh, Superman and Lois just as strong in season 2 as it has been in season 1. One, I cannot wait to see where else they go. There's so much. There's so much you could do. Give me some Manchester Black. Give me full. Give me Doomsday. Give me some more wacky Silver Age Superman stories. I want them all. Give them to me now. But I'm very excited about this. This is a great time to be a Superman fan because you've got Superman and Lois. A wonderful show that gives you a weekly dose of Superman serotonin. So I am very excited about that. Cannot wait to see what they've got cooking for the next seasons for these shows. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of delightful DC television, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I count down my top 10 episodes of... The Batman. The Batman, one of the unsung heroes of DC animation. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a boy, uh, <laughs> stupid, um, when I was a kid, I remember watching this show and being absolutely entranced by it. I was, of course, introduced to the Batman character through the original animated series in the 90s. You know, Kevin Conroy will always be my Batman. But when I was getting a little bit older and I was looking for more, you know, superhero content, I was absolutely enthralled with shows like X-Men Evolution, which represented characters and heroes that I could even, you know, though they were very different situations uh, that I could relate to because they were a little bit younger. They were a little bit, you know, had a little bit rougher edges and they were still figuring things out. And that was something that this show, The Batman, The Batman, the first big Batman uh, piece of adaptation media to put the in front of Batman. Uh, that's what this show represented, right? It was a younger Batman that I could really, I don't know, I, I could relate to more than Bruce Wayne. The thing that I've loved about the animated series, and I talked about this when I did a full retrospective on my top 10 episodes of that show, was that my favorite episodes and my favorite character was, of course, 
Dick Grayson, Robin, because I related to that character. And with them deciding, okay, you know what, we're going to make this a younger Batman, we're going to have this Batman still kind of figuring things out, I could, for the very first time since probably Batman Beyond, see myself like, oh, I can relate to this character, even though, again, wildly different circumstances. However, this show which made its debut on September 11th, 2004, and ran all the way to March 8th of 2008, was a delight. And something that I remember distinctly being in the, you know, kind of lexicon of amazing 2000s animation. Like, it was a highlight of my Saturday morning cartoon watching. Uh, first debuted on Kids WB before making its way on over to the Cartoon Network. And this show was more or less built upon the idea of, okay, let's take Batman, but make him toyetic. Toyetic was the buzzword of the show. This show set out to make Batman Toyota. Toyota. Toyetic. He's going to drive around in a Corolla. Um, it was basically built around, let's make this Batman feel distinct from the previous Batman iterations, but also make lots and lots of gadgets so he can make lots and lots of toys. Uh, this was the era of, okay, let's just make a show based around uh, stuff that we can make into toys and Happy Meal, you know, toys. So... This show, which, you know, again, debuted on the Kids WB, which is where I first watched it, um, was at the time, you know, around 2004, I was what? 12? So I was 12. So this was a perfect age for me to fall in love with this show. And I was you know, kind of looking back and rewatching the show. And the premise is actually very simple. Batman is in year three when the show uh, starts up, and he is now starting to meet some really wild characters. Uh, he's been dealing with the mob, basically, and organized crime for the last two years. And now, right out the gate from the very first episode, things are about to get strange. And so we get to see, much like in adaptations like The Long Halloween, like Dark Victory, a Batman who has got a pretty good handle on things in Gotham. Yeah, it's still, you know, he's fighting an ongoing war, but he knows the soldiers. And then it starts to get weird. People start showing up dressed as clowns. We have a man who could waddle and has to walk around with a cane also doing backflips and flipping around like Yoda from Attack of the Clones. Like, this show was a wonderful uh, journey for Bruce Wayne, who from the first episode is like, whoa, this is weird, all the way to the fifth season where he is palling around with Superman. Like, it was one of the most complete arcs for a show that I've ever seen for a character and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough that the show evolves just as any show does but it feels organic every single season the show heightens the drama it makes the scope a little bit bigger and starts to bring in all kinds of different things from around the Batman and DC universe and the show, which was produced by Michael Gogwin and uh, Dwayne Capizzi, was one of the highlights 
of the mid-2000s when it came to comic book media. This was pre-MCU. This was pre, you know, DC Extended Universe. This was pre-Batman Begins, which is the starting point for the modern, you know, superhero craze. And I absolutely loved it. Right, I loved having a young Batman and watching him grow into this veteran character, this veteran crime fighter throughout the seasons as time went on. You get to see a physical change in him too. Like at the beginning of the show, he's got this very kind of narrow face. I uh, look to like Nick Dar- how Nick Darrington draws Batman. Maybe that's why I love Nick Darrington's Batman so much. Uh, he's got a very narrow face big old expressive eyes on his cowl and then when you get to season four and season five his eyes are smaller his jaw is a little squarer he has filled out into the batman that we see and that we commonly associate with and watching that journey is so cool and we don't ever get to see that um in doing so it also set itself apart from every other batman adaptation which is Either, okay, let's show him turn into Batman, or let's show him, you know, 15, 20 years in. Uh, This is very much my niche of Batman stories, right? This is the Arkham Origins telltale era of Batman, where I'm like, I want you to have things figured out, but then I want you to just get bodied by the weird. And I really think that the show does a great job of doing that. And the way that it does that is by taking on one master of his craft, Jeff Matsuda. Jeff Matsuda did all of the character designs in this show, helped out with a lot of, you know, uh, what is is the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, Designs. Uh, backgrounds, just laying everything out. And if the name isn't familiar, his other hit show might sound familiar to you, Jackie Chan Adventures. That's right. Jeff Matsuda went straight from Jackie Chan Adventures to Batman. I just don't know how you win twice in a row. Like, Jeff Matsuda is an incredible artist um, doing just some of the best work in 2000s animation and this show much like uh teen titans at the time very anime based very anime style designs when it comes to costumes when it comes to expressiveness when it comes to just expressions of the characters how they uh how they what's it called uh express their emotions from you know uh, sad to happy to excited to everything it is very much in that same Jackie Chan Adventures style which again I absolutely love because Jackie Chan Adventures rules and this show seemed to be lightning in a bottle there were so many things going for it and not the least of which was an incredible cast this cast was a murderer's row of incredible voice talent you've got uh Alistair Duncan as just the sassiest Alfred. Like, I uh, I love me some sassy Alfred. This was the first show that I really started to appreciate sassy Alfred. Uh, Ming-Na Wen is the wonderfully underutilized Detective Yin. We have Robert Englund 
Freddy himself as the Riddler. Uh, Danielle Judovitz, I want to give her a special shout out because she does a lot of heavy lifting as Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. Tom Kenny of SpongeBob fame plays the Penguin, and it's my favorite Tom Kenny performance. Tom Kenny is magic in this show. Penguin, who, like I said, is a little bowling ball that can also do flips and jumps and kung fu, uh, is absolutely ridiculous. This is a version of Penguin that I cannot get behind, but anytime I watch him, I just, I can't help it. I grin from ear to ear. I love this version of Penguin. And the two standouts for me, the ones who really are top of the line uh, and the ones that really send the show over for me are Kevin Michael Richardson as the Joker and Reno Romano bringing it all together as the Batman. Kevin Michael Richardson is not even in the top 10 of names that I would have picked to play the Joker because once Mark Hamill put his stamp on the Joker's voice, everyone for better and mostly for worse has been trying to do Mark Hamill's Joker. We've seen it done well. We've seen it done very not well. Kevin Michael Richardson said, okay, I am going to approach this from a different direction. And I absolutely love it. He's unlike any Joker that we've ever seen, both in design, in voice, in uh, temperament. He is someone who I think is one of the most incredible voice actors of all time. And his performance as the Joker goes from every single direction you could possibly hope for. When you see him, he is just this absolute lunatic. His first, his costume for the first, you know, I think season and a half maybe is just the is the straight jacket. He has the straight jacket. The sleeves are swaying in the wind like he looks like a psychopath. And even though later on he does uh, get into a more Jokerific uh, costume with the coattails and the purple and the yellow uh he retains the fact that he doesn't wear shoes and this joker can throw down physically yes he you know uses gadgets and you know gags and joker putty we'll get into joker putty but he is a kung fu master and he is someone who uses his feet like a monkey he's a monkey joker and i absolutely love the use of that even when he gets into his like his i guess esteemed gear he doesn't wear shoes because you see him like bouncing off walls. You see him like using his feet to like swing off of poles. He is the most kinetic Joker that we've gotten in any adaptation. And I absolutely love the energy that he brings to this character. He is a standout and people should put respect on his name. He is a top three Joker for me. And of course, no Batman show would be complete without the Batman himself. Reno Romano was a voice that, even as a kid, I was fairly well uh, experienced with. And not because of anything to do with Batman. Reno Romano was a very well-known Spider-Man voice actor. He was the voice of Spider-Man in the PlayStation 1 Spider-Man, the very first Spider-Man that I ever played that I still fall in love with and that still has its fans all over the world. And he also was the voice of Spider-Man in Spider-Man Unlimited, another gem that is a show. And... (laughs) 
That's unfair. That's unfair. The show had some good ideas, but it was it was trying to be Batman Beyond. Let's just let's call a spade a spade. And I I looked at this right, and I thought to myself, this voice is great. And I never would have made the jump. Like you wouldn't see a Yuri Lowenthal jump into Batman. I'd love to see it. Don't get me wrong, but you won't in this day and age where voice print is so important. You won't see a studio experiment with a voice like that again. They will go for a traditional, you know, um, Kevin Conroy, uh, Roger Craig Smith style voice anytime Batman is involved in anything. And so for this to be a specifically young Batman who is trying to get a handle on the city, which is becoming stranger and stranger by the night, I really enjoyed the depth that Reno Romano brought to this Bruce Wayne. He played as much of a difference between both Bruce and Batman as Kevin Conroy did. And I, I just think it's wonderful. And I think he's a great Batman and he should get more play and more love as Batman. But with all of that preamble out of the way with the show in the rear view, let's talk about these episodes, right? I have compiled my list of the top 10 episodes of the Batman and granted this show ran for five seasons, five seasons, and there were a lot of episodes of this show. It's not like it was like arcane where it's like, all right, here you go, nine episodes, and now we move on. Like these seasons ran long. And so there are bound to be episodes that we disagree on. Absolutely going to happen. If we do disagree on them, if you have your own list, if you think I'm way off base, feel free to let me know. Let me know at Pod. that's at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, let me know via email, geeksplain at gmail.com. I'd love to have that conversation with you. This whole podcast is about geek conversations by a geek for geeks, so let's kick up that conversation. Let's get that going. But before we get into the top 10 list, I want to give a couple of honorable mentions. First off, Traction. I adore this episode, even though I don't love Red Hulk Bane. I, there's something about it that I've never really clicked with. But I remember watching this episode for the first time. This was the first episode that I saw of the Batman. And this was how I knew this show was going to be different. And so I remember watching this. Bane shows up and he is wearing his best SMM gear. And when he faces off with Batman for the first time, he turns into this red hulking monster. I was terrified. And I, I still look back on it. And it's a great story about limitations, about trying to push past them, about really leaning on people. You know, the banter between Bruce and Alfred in this episode is top tier. It's one of my favorite Alfred episodes. Great, great episode. Really, really dig it. Uh, Two of a Kind is also great. This is the Harley Quinn episode. This brings in Hinden Walsh, uh, known mostly for Starfire, at least she is for me, in the Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go animated series. Uh, She is a wonderful Harley Quinn who has been repurposed because the show lent itself to a lot of different designs, a lot of different backstories, to making Harley Harley Quinn, a talk show host, a la uh, Jerry uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Springer, um, Ellen, that kind of thing, but just bad at her job. 
and doing that to make it a uh, Harley Quinn origin story and making Joker a fan of her first is such an inspired choice, and I really, really dig it. And then finally, Riddler's Revenge. This was the second Riddler episode that gives us his backstory. Um, I'm going to get into it, but the Riddler is excellent. Absolutely love this Riddler. And it's a tragic story of a villain who could have been someone productive in society. It's really, really cool. I dig all three of those episodes. Just missed the top ten for me, but the they're still worth your time to check out. Let's talk about these 10 episodes. First, at number 10, I have Batgirl Begins. This is season three, episodes one and two. It's a two-parter. Originally aired on September 17th and September 24th, respectively, of 2005. This is, as the title suggests, the Batgirl origin story. Uh, For the prior two seasons... Batman had been solo, him and Alfred just palling around and stopping crime. In season three, we start to peek into classic Batman stuff. Jim Gordon is a mainstay. We get to see more characters and more high-profile villains show up. And here, we get to see the integration of Batgirl. She pops up before Robin does in this show. And the performance of her, like I said, by uh, Danielle Judovitz is... Wonderful. She gives just enough snark and sass and lovability to this character who I would say, you know, at the time we had already had uh, a Cassandra Kane making her way in. This is, again, 2005. Cassandra Kane was already on her way. We sa- we saw that Stephanie Brown had been a Robin at this point, was on her way to be a Batgirl. They could have very easily shifted gears and gone in this direction. Hell, in the next Batman show, maybe not the next one, the one after that, uh, but where the Batman? They had Katana be the sidekick because they're like, we don't want Robin or Batgirl. But they decided to go True Blue Barbara Gordon, and it worked. I really dig this origin for her. I like the costume. I think it's wonderful, even though it is a little bit impractical with the skirt. But I think it's just a very cool origin story, not least of which because it's a two-person origin. It's not just the origin of Batgirl. It's also the origin of Poison Ivy. Pamela Isley is the best friend, the rebel with a cause of Barbara Gordon, and I love the interplay between Babs and Pam in this. It's really, really well done. I think it's a wonderful look into the show and how it recontextualizes certain characters, and it represents the tonal shift of the show as well. You know, the first two seasons were fairly dark for a kid's show, and the shift in season three to be more of a bat family show was a choice that i know a lot of people it rubbed them the wrong way uh season three is probably not my favorite season uh my favorite seasons are one two and four i think they're all wonderful season three and five were fine but they don't really have my favorite episodes in them so i i think that it was a step in the right direction but really needed time to cook so that season four could be as good as it could be but so that's uh that's number 10 at number nine we have the batman superman story this was season five episodes one and two again a two-parter and again i have to stress this only episodes of season three and season five on this list 
Uh, there's no shade towards any of the episodes or performances for either of those seasons. Just, again, not my favorite seasons. But you knew it had to be on here because of who I am as a person. Batman Superman Story, uh, which originally aired on September 22nd and September 29th of 2007, was the big debut of the Big Blue. Superman arrives in this show, and it is chef's kiss. Uh, What I really love about this is that it represents, again, what the show is going to be for this final season. It was the debut of season five, and from here, you knew it was going to be the Brave and the Bold season. We were going to get Superman, not Superman, we're going to get Batman palling around with Green Arrow, with The Flash, with Martian Manhunter. And this one kicked it off to really say, okay, this is the status quo now. Everything is going to be high stakes. Everything is going to be, you know, in or outside of Gotham. And they did it in a way that feels familiar because they brought back a lot of familiar voices. Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, George Newbern as Superman, and the man himself, Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor. Uh, Just the inclusion of those three actors, I'm like, sign me up. And I remember watching this for the first time when I was a kid and going, Oh, so this is the same... Wait, no, this can't be the same Superman. But I really dig this version of Superman. His uh, his outfit and his take and his design very much calls back to All-Star with the cape draped over the shoulders. Bit of a shorter cape, but also, you know, statuesque without being super pretty like everyone is on that show. Um, and his temperament is something that we don't normally see. Batman is the one trying to recruit him to the Justice League that they just established at the end of the last season. And Superman's like, no, dude, I work alone. I don't want any part of this. And so that feeds into the story of this of this two-parter, which is Lex Luthor is employing Gotham rogues to take down Superman. And we just are off to the races from there. I really dig it. It also, again... F- you know, focuses on that status quo shift of this is going to be more of a DC Universe show in line with uh, JLU. And I just, I dig it. I dig it a lot. It's, again, not my favorite season, but I think it started off really, really strong. I love the unique take on Soups in this episode or in this two-parter. I think it's a great journey for him as much as it is for Batman. And I just, I love me some Batman Superman crossover. What can I say? So that is number nine. At number eight, we have Strange Minds. Season two, episode 12, uh, aired on September 3rd of 2005. And this episode was basically Joker Inception. Uh, That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. So basically the premise of this is that Ellen Yin, again, we're going to get to her because she is incredible, uh, is captured by the Joker. Also using one of the best gags of all time with the Joker tricking her into ordering pizza so that he could kidnap her. I just... It's wonderful. The show is great. Um, They don't know where Yin is, but they've captured Joker. And so... Batman tries to use some illegally stolen technology from Hugo Strange to tap into the Joker's mind to try and figure out where Ellen Yin is. And what ensues is a freaking trip. 
<laughs> Diving into the Joker's mind is just as terrifying as it sounds. Uh, we also get, again, the debut of Hugo Strange in the show, who would play a role for the rest of the show as well. Um, this Hugo Strange is very much, um, he feels very uh, caveman-esque to me. Uh, and I don't know what makes me think that but it's very like it's very that and that design and hugo strange has this wonderful timber to his voice that i love and the two characters basically traversing the joker's mind to try and find out the whereabouts of ellen yin are wonderful we get a really interesting take on his origin story and you get to see batman basically almost driven mad in his pursuit to find his friend so i think it's a wonderful episode mind games aplenty perspective changes um gags and fake outs and it's just a wonderful wonderful episode that dives into the uh, psyche and the perspective of one of the show's standouts so that is number eight at number seven we have breakout breakout is a wonderful episode season four episode number six uh from november 11th 2006 this episode is gcpd home alone that's all it is and i love it black mask has been apprehended by the batman though following his arrest the batman has gone missing so it's up to robin and batgirl to fend off a wave of blast black masks minions trying to break into the gcpd headquarters to break their boss out i love this episode this is the you know we we mentioned earlier in the new segment doctor who this is the epitome of a doctor light episode where the batman is very tangential to the main story this is a story about sidekicks sidekick blues this is a story about robin and batgirl really working together for kind of the first time without batman to be kind of a mediator for them and so we get to see them get inventive. We get to see them argue a little bit. We get to see them work together to try and not just keep Black, black Mask. Why is that so hard for me today? Uh, not just to keep Black Mask locked up, but also to keep out all of the henchmen who are trying to break into the building. I'm a sucker for any time there's a home invasion story in my superhero comics. And so I really dig this idea. The execution is fantastic. And it ends with a wonderful little gag between Robin, Batgirl, and the Batman. It's just an absolute delight. I love this episode to death. Episode number six, number six on my list is Seconds. And this is the unsung hero of this show. You look at this show and you might not even know that this was an episode, right? This was season four, episode nine. Are you sensing a trend with some of my favorite episodes? Or, or basically maybe my favorite season. Uh, this aired originally on f February 10th of 2007. And it is, a, it is, like I said, a hidden gem of this series and you want to know why because it's the clock king episode the clock king made only one appearance in this show and when you watch the episode you'll understand why but this oh man it's so good we had a wonderful clock king episode in the original batman animated series this one decides to be completely different and what i love is that the clock king depictions are so different across these adaptations the clock king 
actually has the power to turn back time, I think like 10 seconds or 30 seconds or something. And so we see him trying to pay bills. We see him, he is this down on his luck, you know, um, what what is it the the deadbeat dad trying to pay bills trying to support his family and he is this watch he works at this watch repair shop and realizes he can turn back time so he starts using that and utilizing it to do crimes and so we get to see this wonderful uh format change for the batman that we don't see in any other episode where the POV is basically from the villain's perspective and you get to see him do over scenes. I just, I love that every single time something wrong happens, it's like, okay, shoot, there's a bucket there. You turn three corners, watch the, watch the overhang. And you then see him concentrate and we pop back to the beginning of the scene and you see him try to make his way. It is everything that we love about Prince of Persia, everything people love about Tracer from Overwatch, and I just really dig it. I love this stuff. I love time loops. I love the use of time loops. If it's used really well, I think it can be an incredibly an incredibly well done and underutilized form of narrative. And at the end, there is a threat of a hard reset. Like what happens when you go back so far that you can't fix things uh the show goes in very in a very strange direction that you don't expect at the very beginning and it eventually becomes something of a similar to it's a wonderful life so i love this episode again it is a diamond in the rough it is a needle in a haystack episode you need to search for it to find it because it is worth your time i'd also recommend at number five we're heading into the top five here one half this list down one half to go number five artifacts and i'm going to let you know when i set out to make this list this was going to be number one this was going to be number one because this is the episode that I can remember beat for beats, you know, character for character, even years on after seeing it for the first time. This was season four, episode seven and aired February 3rd of 2007. And this episode is focused mostly on the legacy of the Batman. What does the bat represent across time? We get to see jumps forward, not just one, but two, and this is a Mr. Freeze episode. I was tempted to put his original episode on this list, but I don't think it, for me at least, stacks up against the other episodes, and I'm glad that he gets to be on this list. Played by Clancy Brown, uh, Mr. Freeze is wonderful. His design is impeccable. I really dig that he just has ice powers. He just has Iceman powers, and... It's, again, a very big shift for his character, but I dig it. I really like it. And this show has two separate time periods concurrently running against each other. We have the Dark Knight Returns era, which is, I think it's supposed to be like 20 years in the future or something, where we've got uh, an almost completely frozen over Gotham trying to be saved by old man Batman Oracle and Nightwing, the one appearance of Nightwing and Oracle in this show, and then 
a thousand years in the future, we see Gotham once again under threat by Mr. Freeze, who has cryogenically frozen himself because of course he did, laying siege to Gotham once again without a Batman to speak of. I really dig the depictions of Nightwing and Oracle here. We don't get any backstory. We don't get any jump forward. So if you have no idea what's happened, it's like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, what happened to these characters? And if you know you know, and it's a great payoff for both of these characters. I really, really dig it. Uh, the show also, and it's something that is kind of across the board for the show, is not afraid of, you know, being hammy or being a little cheesy. Uh, when Batman steps out, the I mean, the Batmobile is the Bat tank out of The Dark Knight Returns. When he rolls up to face uh, Mr. Freeze, he steps up and Mr. Freeze says, and I kid you not, this is a piece of dialogue. He looks up at him. He says, ah, The Dark Knight Returns. And then it just pans up to Batman with a lightning strike from The Dark Knight Returns. It's blatant and I love it it's incredibly hammy and I just they they said you know what we're gonna go all in on this we're gonna go knee deep in this and you are going to love it and I did it's a great episode I love also the um the people the archaeologists who are you know breaking into the ruins of the bat cave and being like oh you know Records don't really show who the Batman was, but due to this photo here, you know, Thomas Wayne, which owned the property above this, must have been the Batman. Uh, Martha, his wife, must have been the Batwoman, and then their young son Bruce is probably the Red Robin. I just, I love that shit. I love that shit. Feed it directly into my veins. The archivists have no idea what they're talking about, and I just, I really dig it. It's a great episode, a great finale for it as well and again speaks to the legacy of the batman in all eras so i absolutely love this episode uh number four we have riddled this is season two episode two uh aired originally on may 21st 2005 and was the debut of the robert england voiced riddler now this riddler is goth boy central long dark hair lipstick guy liner we got the uh nail polish the whole deal this riddler fox i absolutely love this riddler uh, he is creepy he is unnerving and what i love the most about this episode and why i put it here above the riddled epi- or the riddler's revenge episode is we got the spotlight on detective ellen yin detective ellen yin was created specifically for this show and it gave, for the first two seasons at least, a sometimes ally, sometimes, um, I mean, starts off as an enemy to Batman that wasn't old white man Jim Gordon. Detective Ellen Yin was an Asian woman who kicked ass and did not take no for an answer. It also helped that she looked just like Eliza from Gargoyles, and that is incredible character design i love ellen yin and i hope my okay look my biggest wish list my biggest wish for the batman whether it's batman 2 batman 3 whatever bring in ellen yin i know we kind of have that uh role mopped up with uh with jim gordon but i think Ellen Yin deserves another shot because she is a wonderful character who deserves more time in the sun. But basically, what this show is, or what this episode is, 
it's Saw meets Seven. The Riddler has started targeting people and started uh, forcing them to solve riddles or else they die. Does that sound familiar? I bet you it does. And Detective Ellen Yin decides, I am going to try to solve these riddles to save these people's lives. Accompanied by the Batman. And the two of them are still very shaky in their relationship. They're, they're, they're getting there. But she is... Um, but she is learning to trust him. They just went through a hell of a finale, more on that later, for season one. And so they're still kind of rocky, but they're learning to trust each other. And just having that dynamic while they're also trying to solve these riddles throughout Gotham before bombs go off and people die. It's really high stakes. It's very intense. And this Riddler's scary. I don't like this Riddler. I, I wouldn't want to be in a room with this Riddler. I really dig it. It's wonderful. I would recommend it for sure. And again, if you loved The Batman, this might be a perfect episode for you to start on. At number three, top three was very difficult. Top three shifted around a bunch. Um, At one point, this was number one. And after rewatching each of these episodes at least two to three times just for this list, at number three, I have The Clay Face of Tragedy. Season 1, episodes 12 and 13. Episode 12 was titled Rubber Face of Comedy. This episode, episode 13, was titled Clay Face of Tragedy. I'm putting them together because they are one story. Uh, Originally aired April 30th and May 7th of 2005, respectively. And this is the Batman's version of the killing joke. This is the Batman saying, Hey, let's do the killing joke, but make it good. I love this episode and it focuses on our three leads batman detective ellen yin and detective ethan bennett ethan bennett who is incredible he is a wonderful character who i you know i haven't talked about enough because he really only factors in you know emotionally in the first season but he starts off the show as one of i mean he's basically we so this is okay Pause. Let me backtrack a little bit. This episode is basically if you put Clayface, The Killing Joke, and Two-Face all in one. You put The Killing Joke comic, The Clayface, and the Two-Face episodes of the Batman animated series, put them in a blender, and you get Clayface of Tragedy. I absolutely love this. Um... Basically what happens, Ethan Bennett was a childhood friend of Bruce's who is now on the police force, who is a detective who is a bit of a Batman fanboy, even though he is supposed to be hunting him down because of Chief Rojas having this J. Jonah Jameson-esque vendetta against the Batman. And he is kind of Batman's ally throughout the first season, you know, giving him tips, the two talk, and... Just when Bruce is preparing to reveal himself to Ethan, because they're friends, the Joker decides, I'm going to capture this guy, and I'm going to subject him to psychological and physical torture until he cracks. And Batman arrives to deal with him. At a certain point, we get to see uh, the Joker dealing with uh, Joker Putty which has been like this long-standing thing from the very first uh, appearance of him through here. Uh, He's been dealing with this thing called Joker Putty, which allows him to, you know, mess around with, basically make 
a solid thing. He covers that in Joker putty and he can turn it into whatever he wants. Um, during the course of Batman rescuing Ethan, Batman's Batarang hits the container of Joker putty and Ethan Bennett inhales the fumes from it. From here, we get Clayface. I love how tragic this episode is. Both these episodes. You know, Ethan is trying to figure out how to deal with this. Uh, Detective Rojas is becoming increasingly uh, more dangerous when it comes to Batman. And the Joker is this, you know, like pipe bomb thrown in the middle of it. And the relationship between Bruce, between Ethan, between Yin are all just irrevocably changed and irreversibly changed in this episode. And we don't get tragic stories like this in animation these days. Um, That's a blanket statement. We do get tragic stories like this, but this felt heavy, even watching it as an adult. Like I looked at this and I was like, God, this is terrible. (laughs) You really feel for him. You really feel for him. It's terrible. It's tragic. And it's just a wonderful finale for the first season. This is the first season, the first season, which I think, you know, is probably the best paced season of the show is just it hits you with a gut punch at the end of this because Ethan, he can't be changed back. He can't go back to his normal life. Joker has ruined his life and Batman kind of had a hand in it as well. And so every single bit of uh, character dynamics, of character relationships shifts following this. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful end to the first chapter of this story. So that's at number three. At number two, we have... Night and the City. This is Season 2, Episode 13, originally aired September 10th of 2005, and this is the best season finale of all five seasons. You're right. You heard that correctly. Season 2 had the best finale out of all of them. I adore this episode. It is everything you want. If you want the entire show bottled into one episode watch this this show focuses on a terrible trio not that one uh of the penguin the joker and the riddler all meeting each other for the very first time well they're meeting riddler for the first time they've had some uh joker and penguin have had some run-ins before this but all three of them decide instead of fighting each other In a big old turf war, we're going to fight the Batman, and whoever unmasks him wins Gotham. So we get this, we basically get the War of Jokes and Riddles before the War of Jokes and Riddles. And it's the War of Jokes, Riddles, and Penguins. And I I just, I love it, man. I love this episode. Uh, This episode also features the... Just the best follow-up to Clayface of Tragedy with, you know, Batman giving, you know, essentially giving Yin a way to contact him at the end of that episode. This is where all of the, um, all of the chickens come to roost for that relationship. Uh, Detective Rojas is on the warpath, basically seeing Batman as the instigator for this three-way war on Gotham that Penguin, Riddler, and Joker are waging. And so we also, alongside Batman facing off against his three biggest villains in the show up to this point, 
We also get a classic Batman versus the cops story. Which means we get a wonderful warehouse fight where he and Detective Yin have to escape the warehouse while trying to evade the GCPD. Um, I love it. I love this episode to death. This also features the debut of Jim Gordon into the series. We see him very briefly in the very first episode. but Or no, the second episode in Traction. Um, but... We see him in all his mustachioed, gray-templed glory, and this is the biggest, I would say, the biggest sign of change in the show, because the first two scenes are very much about, okay, we're going to focus on characters you haven't met yet, we're going to focus on reinterpretations of characters, and we're going to focus on you know carving our own identity. Where the arrival of Jim Gordon kind of harkens to this idea of now we're treating it like a Batman show instead of this scrappy, you know, trying to prove itself thought experiment. This is now our flagship Batman show. So you get Jim Gordon, you get Batgirl, you get your major villains, you get Robin. This was the moment where that mindset of, okay, we're you are just going to have to make you know, whatever scraps we give you work, this was the sh- This was the shift in that mindset and that you are now the premier Batman animated series. Uh, I, I dig it. I really like Jim Gordon. I like his involvement in the show. He's not super involved. He's not at the forefront, but he does make some very clutch and critical choices in the episode. And what I love is that this is the completion of his arc. If you just watched the first two seasons of this show, you would have a complete story. Very Gravity Falls in that aspect, where it's just two seasons and done. And you don't necessarily have to watch anything after this. The ending of this episode is Batman Begins all over again, which is funny because it came out the same year as Batman Begins. Um, This is one of the best endings to a Batman show I've ever seen, even though there were three other seasons after this. But I adore the character arcs completing for everyone, for Batman, for Yin, for Rojas. And it's a real shame that we don't see Yin or Rojas after this episode. This is also, you know, kind of the harbinger of like, okay, we are now going to be, you know, making more time for mainstays and more recognizable characters. So the original characters that the show had taken time to build go by the wayside. We never see them again, which is an absolute travesty and ultimately why I decided to put it at number two. Uh, This is the last hurrah, the last ride for both those characters. And it's sad, but it's also just a wonderfully paced episode that pays homage to the show, pays absolute respect to its characters, and gives us a hell of a Batman story. But it's not my favorite episode it's not the number one spot and if you watch the show if you're familiar with the show if you you know took the time to watch it either during or before listening to this episode you know what i'm about to pick you know the episode i'm about to choose number one is a matter of family episode Episode 1 of Season 4, originally aired September 23rd of 2006. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course this is my favorite episode because 
This is the Robin episode. This is the origin of Dick Grayson's Robin in this iteration of the Batman mythos. And it's as damn perfect as an episode of the Batman can be. Uh, Dick Grayson, we re- we start the show off from his perspective, which is wonderful. Um, he is this normal kid living in a circus with his parents, John and Mary Grayson. Uh, and things go wrong and i love it i love tragedy of dick grayson i just i do i love robin origin stories you know how much i love that but on top of that this is just a great episode this is a fantastic episode that shows off why the show is what it is and why it works so well and that's by taking a familiar story with some familiar voices and giving it a fresh coat of paint and a brand new perspective. Uh, the two, of course, big callouts that you got to make, uh, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy return in the same episode with Mark Hamill playing uh, Tony Zuko and Kevin Conroy playing John Grayson immediately puts them in conflict with each other which i love it you gotta do it and i just love how hammy mark hamill is as tony zuko he's just he's got the voice he's like i you you don't want to have anything bad happen to your circus do you and i just i oh it's so good it's so good uh tony zuko is also given a backstory as another circus kid who was a knife thrower um it's just wonderful. It it feels new. It feels fresh. Um, I I can't say enough good things about this show. I said it before about you know Night in the City, but I would also say it again about this. The whole series can be summed up in this episode. This is a this is a wonderful episode to show people who have no idea what the show is about or the tone for the show, because this is the representation of not just what the show was beforehand, but what the show would be going forward. Um, this show is all about what Batman is all about. He goes through an, an entire arc in this episode alongside Dick because Dick wants vengeance. He wants vengeance for his parents. And Bruce has to show him another way. And I... Ah, that's what the Batman's all about. That is what Batman and Robin is all about. Uh, The iconography is also striking. The moment that the Graysons fall, which I don't think is a spoiler, because that's their backstory. Sorry to spoil a comic that came out in 1940. Uh... The moment where the trapeze snaps, they're on an upswing and Mary Grace is reaching out for Dick's hand for him to join in the routine. You see her go up and then you just see her start to drop. And it is, oh, that makes my heart drop every time I watch it. It is the terror in her face. Incredible, incredible use of art here. Uh, Face acting when it comes to this animated series. And then the iconography of the very end with Batman and Robin united together. The, I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to say the, uh, the final lines, you know, Batman saying like, we're going to, we're going to have to give you a name. And Robin looks up at him and is like, Robin, Robin's my name. And Batman says, like, the bird? And Robin smiles, and he just goes, it's a family name. And he puts his foot up 
on the little track with Batman. I just, oh, it's my shit. I'm sorry. I'm geeking out about it. I love this episode to death. It is also arguably for me, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the kickoff to the best season of the show. The best season of the show is season four. I'm sorry. I know. Uh, Okay. Season one and season two are a complete story in themselves. Season one is probably the best paced of, of all five seasons. Season two is the culmination of that story, but season four Oh my god, season four is just the best Batman episodes in the entire show. It just is. It has a wonderful cavalcade of weird, dramatic, wacky, uh, just absolutely heart-stopping stories in this season. And it is my personal favorite season. Uh, I'd probably rank it one, or... So I'd probably, if I had to rank the seasons, I'd go... Ah, uh, that's tough. Um, probably four, two, one, uh, five, three. Four, two, one, five, three is probably how I'd rank it. One and two might swap, just because again, season one is so well paced, and I love the shift in tone from normal Gotham to weird Gotham. You know what? I'm I'm just gonna scratch it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna do it. Uh, four, one, two, uh, three or five, three. Four, one, two, five, three. That is my final ranking for the for the seasons. But a matter of family is as good a Batman story as you will find anywhere. I would put this up against any Batman animated episode from any of the shows, and it also carries through with my Batman the Animated Series top ten episodes because Robin's Reckoning is my number one over there too. So maybe I have a type. Sue me. I love Batman and Robin. I love what they represent. And when it comes to the show as a whole, I love this show. It was a huge part of my childhood. I'm glad that people are discovering it or revisiting it because it absolutely deserves it. It was a show that was the Batman that I needed at the time that I needed him. And for a lot of people, when it comes to superheroes, when it comes to fictional media, when it comes to, you know, our comforts, sometimes we need this stuff just to get by. And for me, just like Dick Grayson, the Batman was there for me exactly when I needed it. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of March 23rd, 2022. This is the segment of the show where I chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop or comicsology or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me... I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. World's Finest, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora, absolutely amazing. Um, I will say it just barely edged out the Nightwing issue from last week. It was neck and neck all the way down to the wire, but... I love this. Mark Wade's writing Superman again, and the Dan Mora art is incredible. Um... It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. I love it so much. It's amazing. Um, pick this book up. 
put this on your pull list. You are going to want to stick with this. Trust me. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got 11. We're back into double digits. 11 books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into the list. First off, we've got a double feature of Devil Rain's, Devil's Rain tie-ins. Uh, first off, Devil's Reign, Villains for Hire, number three. This is written by Clay McLeod Chapman with art by Manuel Garcia. And this is, I believe, the end of it? Part three? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I've been enjoying this. This is the Thunderbolts book. Um, everything seems to come to a head, and one of them just died last issue. So we are coming to the climax for sure around here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fisk's Fist, part three. As Wilson Fisk's city descends into all-out chaos, the Thunderbolts are the only law left on the streets. But some of these bolts are only interested in serving and protecting themselves, and where others see chaos and fear, they see opportunity, cash to be made, and skulls to be cracked. So yeah, this is the U.S. agent book, Thunderbolts, love it, really, really dig it. Next up, we have Devil's Reign X-Men number three. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Uh, this has been fantastic. I've really liked how each tie-in has its own kind of uh, flavor, its own genre. This one is very much like political intrigue and backstabbing. I dig it a lot. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Showstopper. King takes queen. Emma Frost has taken on many opponents as the White Queen, but this time, she may have bitten off more than she can chew. As Kingpin's plans unfold, forget Krakoa, and Emma even protect herself. Love it. Big fan of this. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1041. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Sean Aldridge, with art by Dale Eaglesham, Will Conrad, and Adriana Mello. And I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm enjoying this, but I'm starting to wind down. I don't know exactly where this book is going. Maybe it's because I'm loving Superman Son of Kal-El so much, but uh, Action Comics is starting to lose me a little bit. Um, I want this book to be good. You know how much I love Superman. I really dig Mongol, War World, uh, the characters that were set up for this, but I, I don't know. We're going to have to see. We're going to have to see. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Midnighter's Tale slash Martian Manhunter, A Face in the Crowd, Part 5. Rematch. Superman puts what he's learned on Warworld to the test as he faces Mongol's unstoppable reanimated warrior known as the Unmade. But it may be too late for Mongol to sal salvage his empire before an ancient prophecy is fulfilled. One of Superman's inner circle will fall, another will be resurrected at a terrible cost, and the Authority's traitor will be revealed in the conclusion to part one of the Warworld saga. Okay, so this is the conclusion of part one of the Warworld saga. If you're not feeling it, this would be the time to jump off. But I am willing to let them change my mind. We will see. I am cautiously optimistic for this. Next up, we have Iron Man number 18. This is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Lon Medina. And we are heading to the end of this. I believe next issue is the end of the uh, Iron God, Iron Man versus Korvac story. So this is our penultimate chapter. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Hello darkness, my old friend. Iron Man finally realizes that after all is said and done, he's become worse than Korvac. And perhaps it's time for Tony Stark to finally lay down his godlike powers and embrace his humanity. But if he does so, will he stand one shred of a chance against a cosmically enraged Korvac? Or will he be destroyed like the small armored bag of blood, flesh, and bones he has once again become? David faces off against Goliath in this penultimate issue of the books of Korvac. So yeah, penultimate chapter. Um, I'm glad that we're getting past the Iron God stuff. I much prefer scrappy Tony Stark. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Next up, we have Robin number 12. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Roger Cruz. And I believe this is the last stop for Shadow War. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Demon versus Detective. The Lazarus Tournament is over, and Damien returns to Gotham a changed hero. But there is one last opponent he might fight to the death. Himself. This lead-in issue to the epic Shadow War event is one you dare not miss. Well, that sounds interesting. Uh, we'll just have to see. That sounds really cool. I've really enjoyed this version of Robin. I've absolutely love the anime you know tournament inspired story that this book has become so i don't know where it goes from here i don't know if this is the end of the story or at the end of the run and then we go forward from here or what but i will definitely be picking this up next up we have captain america iron man number five this is written by derek landy with art by angel unzueta and this is i believe the last stop before captain america number zero next month Real quick, Malcolm, you son of a bitch. Malcolm, uh, who is one of the co-hosts for our Geek Explain book club, texted me this past week just absolutely ranting and raving about Captain America number zero. And knowing that I'm not going to get to see it until next month, this guy was just like, oh, it's incredible. It's Captain America as he should be. I haven't been this excited since a long time. So I am chomping at the bit to get to that issue. But in the meantime, Captain America Iron Man is going to have to satisfy that craving. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The time for the final showdown has come, but nothing is as it seems. As Captain America and Iron Man race to stop the cataclysm that Veronica Eden has put in motion, they realize that they may have missed a few red flags elsewhere, and an innocent person is about to pay the price. So I... Does that mean this is the last issue? I don't know. We'll see. But uh, overall, this book's been good. I am... Ah, uh, waiting for Captain America number zero. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1058. This is written, of course, by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Amon K. Noelpon and Fernando Blanco. This, I believe, is the end of uh, the Tower and House of Gotham. So it has been a long trip. I am very curious to see what they do here and where they go from here because this has been some of the strongest uh, storytelling-wise that the Detective Comics book has been in a very long time. So I'm hoping they stick the landing. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower finale slash House of Gotham finale. The Tower crashes to a close. 
In the epic finale to this weekly tale of terror, alliances are forged among unlikely allies, and the Bat family reassess their strategy in their war on crime in Gotham City. Will Psycho Pirate be Batman's newest eyes and ears on the streets? Can Koyuki Nakano ever recover from the traumatic events she witnessed? How much fun will the Batgirls have beating the snot out of Penguin's goons at a seedy motel? The answers await you and much, much more in this cataclysmic culmination. Except for the Batgirls. I'll tell you right now, the answer is a lot. And, as if one dramatic conclusion wasn't enough, the finale of House of Gotham will leave you breathless as Batman is faced with an impossible decision. Kill a monster of his own creation, or let others be killed in the process. Save the patient in front of you was the advice from Thomas Wayne. Ominous! Oh, I've... Oh, this House of Gotham story has been incredible. I am very, very excited to see how both these stories wrap up. Cannot wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number 10. This is written by Jin Lun Yang with art. Jin Lun Yang, sorry. With art by Marcus Toh. I have been loving Shang-Chi. I love me some Shang-Chi, baby. Uh, the book's been wonderful. The uh, art to shift to Marcus Toe has been seamless. I really, really enjoy it. And I can't wait to pick this up. It's a brand new arc, uh, part two. So go back, check out last issue, jump on here. You'll be just fine. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shang-Chi's family is in pieces, but when the going gets tough, family sticks together. It's time for the family to reunite, and that means everybody. For the only way to protect each other from certain death is together. But will Shang-Chi's siblings be able to forgive him and forget the past? This is going to be wonderful. The Five Weapons Society is going to reunite. Cannot wait to see what they do with this. Next up, we have The Human Target number six. This is written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. This is the last issue before the book goes on hiatus. And they're promising some big stuff for this issue. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 6. If it were a delicate stratagem. After a tragic confrontation leaves a Justice Leaguer dead, Christopher Chance, the human target, is one step closer to solving his own murder. But also one step closer to his own grave. With only six days left, can he find the truth through the web of lies? Ooh, I'm ready! I'm ready! Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Spider-Man, Ben Riley, number three, written by J.M.D. Mateus with art by David Baldion. Uh, this book's been wonderful. I love the first two issues. Cannot wait to pick this up. It's Ben Riley, baby. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Humanity Agenda, part three, sees the fire. Ensnared by Dr. Octopus. Jealousy strikes as Carolyn Trainer takes her anger out on Spider-Man. But who's really behind this cavalcade of villains? And is Ben ready to face that truth? 
short, sweet, to the point. I have been digging this so much. I love me some Ben Riley. I love that we're getting a double dose of Ben Riley. Cannot wait to see how this goes. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely pick up is Rogues Number One. Written by Joshua Williamson. Art by Massimiliano Leomax. Ooh, I got it first try. Hell yeah. This is the book I've been waiting for. This is the book that I have been hotly anticipating because this is essentially Logan for the Rogues. My boy, Captain Boomerang. My boy, Captain Cold. They're going to go for one last score, one last ride. Cannot wait to see this book. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Book one, Once Upon a Time in Central City. Ten years ago, the rogues disbanded and went their separate ways. But time hasn't been kind to the former blue-collar supercriminals. Caught in an endless cycle of prison, rehab, dead-end jobs, broken relationships, probation, and bottomless restitution fees, the rogues are sick of paying for their crimes. Luckily, Captain Cold has a plan. One last job that will leave them all richer than their wildest dreams and free from their past, if they can survive. The rogues plan to steal the world's largest stockpile of undocumented, untraceable gold. But to pull this off, they'll need to head to the heart of Gorilla City and rob Gorilla Grodd himself, a supervillain now turned ruthless boss of the largest crime syndicate on Earth. This DC Black Label series presents the rogues if you've never seen them before, taking on a neo-noir heist guaranteed to make readers' blood run cold. Oh, that sounds so cool! A neo-noir heist story featuring one of the best groups of villains in all of comic books. Sign me the hell up. To recap this week's comics countdown, we have... Devil's Reign, Villains for Hire, number three, and X-Men, number three. Action Comics, number 1041, Iron Man, number 18, Robin, number 12, Captain America, Iron Man, number five, Detective Comics, number 1058, Shang-Chi, number 10, Human Target, number six, Ben Riley, Spider-Man, number three, and The Rogues, number one. This, my friends, is Comics Excellence. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. I will be forced to read it as long as you give me those five stars. And you'll join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, including ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88 Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, and... Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, 
If you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, want to get a quick pitch, my opinion on something, or maybe you want some recommendations for stuff we haven't covered on the podcast yet, feel free to email me. Send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. I do read and respond to everything that you guys send to me. I love getting new emails from you guys, so feel free to send them. And you can join the likes of our good brother, Ryan Vandervelden. Good to hear from Ryan again. Hope you're doing well. He writes, How's it going, Eric? Hope you're doing well. The Batman is incredibly infamous for its redesigns of classic Batman characters. I was wondering if you could give us your top three favorite and least favorite character designs from the show. Love the podcast. Keep it real. Ryan. Ryan, always good to hear from you. Yes, the Batman was a was very divisive in its character designs. Because again, they drew a lot of inspiration from anime in the same way that uh, Teen Titans at the time did, though not to the extent of Teen Titans. And so they went buck wild with a lot of different designs. So my top three designs are... hmm. I would say Joker is definitely up there. I love this interpretation of the Joker. The long flowing hair, the... Uh, straight jacket. I like the straight jacket more than the coattails, but either one is a good, uh, good interpretation. The Riddler. Love the Riddler's design here. Super creepy. Super of the time. Really, really enjoy it. And then, huh, for my third one, I would have to. I'd have to say Clayface. Clayface one. Ethan Bennett's Clayface. He's terrifying. It's not in you know not in traditional like. Um, like old school Hollywood horror, like the uh, Basil Carlo uh, version of the character from, or was he Basil Carlo? Was he Matt Hagen in the original Batman the Animated Series? Either way, in the original Batman the Animated Series, that one, that Clayface was much more like traditional horror. This one's like the thing. This is like John Carpenter's The Thing. And I am both incredibly disturbed by it and really really interested in it the the first clayface design is wonderful i dig it also a quick shout out to both the batman and robin uh designs the batman super simple but i love when he pulls his cape around and he just moves around with his you know the um the scallops on the cape just like swishing on the floor i love it and robin i love how simplistic his robin design is of course taking inspiration from tim drake's costume of course taking inspiration from the animated series from t titans and t titans go but for me the thing that sells it and puts it over the top is the cape the cape has basically one large slit up the middle, which makes the cape look like actual bird wings resting at its side. That is my preferred Robin cape. I love it. But for my least favorite, uh, Catwoman. I never liked Catwoman's costume in this show. It was the first adaptation to try and take from the uh, Darwin Cook redesign of the character, but I wish it had taken more from the redesign of the character. I don't like the cowl. I don't like how the ears make her look more like a mouse, and her whip also makes her look like a mouse because she wears it around her waist like a tail. Um, I just think there could have been tweaks done. There could have been tweaks done to really make this a great Catwoman design. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of Clayface 2. I think the first Clayface is done really, really well. And I don't think that when Clayface 2 pops up, it looks any better. In fact, I think it looks worse. And then Bane. I mentioned it earlier. I just, I, I love that character. Bane is in my top three of Batman rogues. And 
Red Hulk Bane I will never be able to get behind. The use of the character and his uh, interpretation I think is wonderful and more uh, more adaptations should take the intelligent Bane route but I don't like the Red Hulk Bane. I'm just not a fan of those designs. But those are my top three with some honorable mentions and bottom three uh, Batman redesigns. Again, Ryan, thank you so much for writing in. Always good to hear from you. And if you folks want to have your uh, emails read on our 200th episode next week, feel free to send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it on here. Uh, finally, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, vote in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at GeekSplainedPod. That's at GeekSplainedPod. I love interacting with all of you fine folks there. I believe, let me double check here, we just passed. Uh, yes, we are. No, we're almost up. We're almost up to 250 followers. I would love we're three away to get up to that uh, Get up to that number for our 200th episode. That would be wonderful. So if you haven't followed us yet, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and do that. And of course, it would be I would be remiss if I didn't mention this Friday, we are doing the Geek Explain Book Club. Every single Friday, I, along with my amazing friends, Jacob Brown and Malcolm Russell Nelson, are going through every single issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. We just wrapped up a landmark. It's our 40th session last week with Volume 11, Carnage. And this week, we're diving into Volume 12. So be there or be square. Uh, (laughs) Every Friday, Spidey Fridays are the place to be. But that does it for this week's episode. The March to 200 is almost complete. Bat March is almost complete, which means... Next week, Bat March finale, episode 200. I have been waiting for this. I am so excited to share this with you. Uh, Pitch it, Batman Beyond. Next week, the whole enchilada is going into this. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I've been putting a lot into this, so I hope you enjoy it. I will see you next week for episode 200, Bat March conclusion, as I pitch... Batman Beyond. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this has been Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're almost at 200 episodes. I cannot thank you enough for being on this ride with me. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.